Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades on five continents, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called a life study. This life study is the basis of our program today, which includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's life study. In the tender and intimate letters of the Apostle Paul to the young church in Thessalonica, it's very interesting to consider what he stresses. In one way, these are not high words or deep or even seemingly profound, and there is no mention of miraculous things or of works of great power. Rather, the Apostle reminds the believers of the normal and upright manner of life in which he and his co-workers were manifested before them when they were together just one short year prior. Listen to his words again in chapter 1, verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, even as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Ron Kangas has joined us. Very good to have you back in the studio. Simply put, it's just good to be back, and I have a fresh delight in coordinating with you, Chris, and fellowshipping over the written word and the scripture and the interpreted word in the ministry. And I'm particularly happy to contribute to this very delightful, touching, cherishing, fostering Mm. uh, portion in chapter 2. It's really sweet. Yeah, I read that verse from chapter 1 because I felt it somewhat uh, set up very nicely, the portion in chapter 2 that we have specifically to touch today. Paul begins this chapter with this word, For you yourselves know, brothers, our entrance toward you, that it has not been in vain. Before we uh, join Witness Lee, the word entrance here intrigues me a bit, Ron. Would you talk about what he means when he says our entrance toward you? I can't help but relate that to what you read from chapter 1, verse 5. You know, the entrance of a person is related to the kind of person he is. Right. If someone uh, is so-called fashionably late, it's because they want to make a display. They come in with a lot of pomp and self-importance. But here Paul is coming into an unknown place, you know, to him. Mm-hmm to unbelievers, and his entrance was an expression of his very person, of his very being. Uh, It was not grandiose. It was not vainglorious. It was not self-important. And it's the God-men coming, very normal, yet living God and expressing God, their being and their living, according to their being, became their entrance. And the entrance was not in vain because it was something very fruitful in the Lord's ministry and work, uh, releasing life, imparting life, bringing the word of the gospel with much assurance so that many turned from idols to serve the living and true God. So these are I wouldn't say random thoughts, but rather spontaneous Mm -hmm. thoughts in response to your question. But Paul's person and his living 
determined his entrance and that the entrance had the effect of just turning people to God. Marvelous. Well, that's a good start. Let's join Witness Lee with this first portion today. In this book, Paul doesn't refer to uh, anything miraculous. He doesn't say the gospel came to you with miracles, wonders, healings, and so forth. No. Rather, if you study the context of these verses, you could see he stresses so much the regular living. He says, you know what can man we wear among you. He doesn't stress anything that is supernatural. He rather uses his uh, regular living as a factor for the gospel. In the Christian living, he only stresses these three things, turning to God from idols, living a life to testify that you serve a living God, and waiting for the Lord coming back. We have to realize nothing miraculous lasts. God's salvation just brings us the proper life that we may live a normal and regular life. This lasts. This is a strong testimony of uh, the gospel. You just live a life to testify that the God whom you worship and serve is so living. People can realize him in your daily life and you don't have any goal on this earth. And your goal, your uh, expectation, your hope is all focused on the coming Lord Jesus. This is the proper Christian life as a testimony to our God. Ron, Paul was one who did have the experience of a number of miracles when we read the book of Acts and the epistles and his life story. There are definitely miracles that he experienced firsthand. And here, this situation, this city of Thessalonica, which we've talked about before, worldly, full of commerce, and kind of you get the sense that it was a sensory place. I mean, the senses were probably always being delighted there. For him to have come in and had a miraculous display, no doubt would have been impressive to this kind of person. It's striking, seems to me, that he is just almost purposefully presenting them with something completely different here. I agree that sometimes what a person doesn't do because one is taking the constricted way of life is more impressive than certain outward things that he might do. I mean, Paul laid hands on people on occasions, and they were healed and cast demons out of people, and they were delivered. But... If we read all of his epistles fairly, we have to say his emphasis is not on those kind of things. His emphasis is on the wonderful, all-inclusive person of Christ, who as the Son of God is the embodiment and expression of the triune God, who dwelt in Christ, who dwelt in Paul as the Spirit to be his person, to be his life, 
Paul knew God's economy, God's plan to dispense himself into us, to make us his expression, and he lived that. Paul was a man of ministry, as 2 Corinthians reveals, and ministry is not merely outward work. Ministry depends upon our person with our constitution. So Paul went there not in a miraculous way, but in a normal way as a God-man, as a Christ-constituted believer, outwardly living a normal human life. He was working there. He labored with his hands to not be a burden to others. But while he was there, he was living God and expressing God. This, in the sight of God, is of great value. Very quickly, our brother Watchman Nee was imprisoned for 20 years unto death. No miracles, no great signs and wonders. But based upon the details of his life that have surfaced, what is there in his living was of immense value. There is a man living God in the most abject of circumstances. That is infinitely, immeasurably more precious to God than someone who just doesn't have that living, doesn't have that kind of person, yet who does certain outward miraculous things. It is really past time for the earnest-seeking believers to have a change in their value system and to begin to appreciate what God appreciates, which is Christ living in us which is the believers in Christ being God-men, children of God, living God and expressing God, not in a strange way, but in a very normal way. God's salvation in Christ makes us divinely and humanly normal. Paul is a pattern of this kind of divine human normality. When you meet it in him, And when you meet it in certain brothers today, it just touches you profoundly and opens your heart to the Lord. Just say amen. You talked about the pattern. As he continues in this chapter, how we we would jump to verse 4. But even as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, who proves our heart. A couple of words here we want to focus on in this coming portion especially approved and entrusted. Here's Witness Lee. But even as we have been approved by God to be entrusted, you have to pay attention to these two words, approved and entrusted. We have been approved by God. No doubt this implies that God has tested the apostles. Then God approved them. So, Based upon this approvedness, God entrusted them with the gospel. You see, to our opinion, God doesn't need to test. God knows. Even before you were born, God knew you already. What you are, how you are, where you are, what kind of person you would be. Surely God knew already why God needed to test you. Well, God's testing... It's not for himself. God testing mainly is for you. God knows you 
But you don't know yourself. You think you are so good, so honest, and faithful. <laughs> when you are put on the test, then you will see you are not that honest. You are not that faithful. You are not that trustworthy. So God's testing is to prove yourself to you. Young people, you shouldn't have too much uh, self-confidence. You have not been tested yet. God will use you, no doubt, but God's use is always after his testing. Until you got the approvedness from God's testing, God cannot entrust anything with you. God's entrusting is based upon your approvedness. Then that will be the time God will use you. So here in this one verse, you have the approved, you have the trusted, and you have the proofs. This means we all must go through all these things. You see? Go through the testing, go through God's proving, go through God's approving, and get into God's entrusting. Then, surely we will have something to praise, something to teach, something to speak. It's a very insightful point, it seems, uh, how he brings out God, in a sense, doesn't need to test us for his sake. He knows what we're made of. The problem is we don't always know so well, do we? Not in the least. And I would say, and I think this is generally true of most of us, it's by failing the tests that we realize what we are. Just as Peter didn't know that what was in him, oh, he said, I'll die with you. These others, they'll run away, but I'm ready to go to death. He meant it, but he didn't know. He wasn't lying. He didn't know himself. So he was tested. Did he pass? Well, the answer is so evident in the scriptures. He failed most miserably. But then isn't it strange? After he is tested and broken under the failure, then he's entrusted with the gospel on the day of Pentecost. We may think, oh, after we fail, then we could never be entrusted with anything. No, after we fail and then have really deeply turned to the Lord and now are dependent on him in fear and trembling, then the Lord will approve us, you know, in Christ and then entrust us This sequence is very significant, approved and trusted. The Lord Jesus at his baptism received the well-speaking of God, but he didn't enter into his public ministry right away. Rather, he was tested by the devil. After he was tested and was approved, then he could carry out the commission. This is the pattern. And the fact that one is, has been approved by God and tested by God will be indicated in the way they speak, not merely in what they say, but in the way they speak. Mm-hmm. And you will sense in their speaking, as Paul says, not as pleasing men, but of pleasing God who proves 
our hearts. Mm. I don't care to apply this in particular. We're talking about the principle here. But I seriously doubt whether in today's seminaries and Bible schools uh, this kind of thing is emphasized with prospective young preachers. But it's characteristic of Paul and of those who would be perfected by the Lord through his ministry to realize we need to be approved by God by tests. Then we can be entrusted by God with the word. And then we speak this entrusted word, not to receive the praise of men, not to please men, but to please God who proves our hearts. While we're speaking, he is pondering our hearts, considering the motives, considering everything that is there. And he approves a heart constituted with Christ in his purity and speaking his word with integrity. You touched something there that would uh, lead right into our final portion today related to seeking something other than God's glory. Paul touches it next in verses 6, 7, and 8. Let me read these three verses quickly as we uh, go into our final portion. Nor did we seek glory from men, neither from you nor from others, though we could have stood on our authority as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle in your midst as a nursing mother would cherish her own children, yearning in this way over you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own souls, because you became beloved to us. These are touching words. Here's Witness Lee. Verse 6. Now seeking glory of man, this is also a kind of temptation. Seemingly, to seek glory of man is not that evil as uh, covetousness. But listen, it's more subtle. You have to know the fall of uh, the archangel was due to what? To uh, glory seeking. Satan became God's adversary just because he was seeking glory. Glory seeking is the biggest snare to the Christian workers. Very few escaped this snare. You believe me. How much you will be used by the Lord and how long your usefulness will last, it all depends upon whether you seek glory or not. If you seek glory, I tell you, you are through. I must say this as a warning to all of us, never seek glory in the Lord's work. Now seeking glory of man, neither from you nor from others. Listen, when, when we may have stood on our dignity as apostles of Christ, this is strong word, stood on our dignity, you have to always forget about your being an apostle. You are just a brother or a sister. So little, so small, serving God's people. You are just their slaves. Verse 7, but we were gentle in your midst. As a nursing mother, you just consider Paul a male. Consider himself a nursing mother. So here, no thought of position. No thought of dignity, right? 
What an interesting mother has. Well, she may have some dignity in taking care of the diaper. <laughs> Excellent dignity to take care of diapers. As a nursing mother would cherish her own children. Very few words are so lovely as the word cherish. You should only cherish. Full of tenderness, full of care. Thus, yearning over you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own souls. This is just like what he said in Second Corinthians 12, to be spent. They themselves, what they are, to be spent, to be imparted to the believers. You must be such a person to set up such a pattern. Then the new believers know where to go. Well, Ron, there's the pattern. Uh, Not seeking glory, not standing on authority, gentle, a nursing, cherishing mother, and pleased to impart not only the gospel, but their own souls. Different picture than we maybe would have painted without this kind of helpful ministry, isn't it? Totally different. This is Jesus living again in one of his many believers. Here is a victorious, overcoming, yet normal living. Here is a man who, by the Lord's grace, resists the temptation that got the better of that angel who became Satan, the devil, the temptation of glory. He also resisted the temptation of standing on his dignity, of letting the people know he's an important person. He's a very useful, valuable person. He's an apostle. He has authority. He simply lived Christ there, not assuming anything. A person who would call himself a nursing mother, the later he called himself an exhorting father, who did not seek glory, did not stand upon his own dignity, did not assert authority because he reveled in it. He was just there as a slave of Christ to serve God in his spirit in the gospel of his Son by preaching Christ and the kingdom of God and living out the very Christ he was preaching, loving the people, spending himself for them, ministering not only the word, not only the gospel, but his own soul. Later, he was to say in 2 Corinthians, we will very gladly spend and be utterly spent for your sake. This is the kind of person the Lord uses. This is the kind of person whose ministry the Lord blesses. Oh, if there were hundreds and thousands of believers today that would seek the Lord to become in Christ by God's grace the same kind of person how the Lord's interest on the earth would advance and how the gates of Hades would be shaken by a race of people, a divine human race, the God-men who live God, who spurn 
the glory of man, who do not violate God's authority, but simply speak Him, minister to Him, live Him, and manifest Him. This is what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Marvelous fellowship, Ron. Thanks for being uh, with us and glad to have you back. Oh, thanks for letting me share this particular program, Oh, it Chris. is uh, our pleasure. Uh, we uh, are running late here. I'll offer you quickly our toll-free number so that you can find out how to receive the printed Life Study messages. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. Join us again tomorrow as we continue on in this Life Study of First Thessalonians. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks so much for listening today. Witness Lee's remarkable commentary on the life of Abraham, taken from the life study of Genesis, is now available from Living Stream Ministry in a single volume entitled Abraham Called by God. Abraham Called by God by Witness Lee is available at Christian bookstores everywhere, or you can order by calling 1-888-543-3788. That's 1-888-543-3788.